Welcome to episode 232 of Coffee Pods and Wads. As always, this episode is sponsored by Rain, Whoop, the Hybrid Academy and Rad. Um, and speaking of all of them, we've got a great prize. Um, if you go to justgiving.com and search 8020, like 8020, um, and give whatever you can. Once it's about five euro, five dollars or five pounds, you'll be entered into a draw to win a six months uh, supply of Rain Body Fuel, six month membership to Whoop um, and a free 4.0. Um, one of two pairs of rad uh, shoes coming from their upcoming launch um, and a 50 pounds hybrid academy voucher um, 8020 have a team and they also have an adaptive athlete and a master's athlete heading to the games and it would be great to help them out um, trying to cover some of the costs because it, it's not cheap um, today's guest is Neil Laverty um, who is actually the coach of all of those athletes who are heading to the games um, he's coached a lot of high-performing athletes in the past. Um, he currently works with P.D. Savage, the 80-20 team, Joanne, who is heading for the Masters, and Ben, who's heading for the Adaptive Field. And he also had a teen um, at the Games and an individual before. So this the team going this year was actually his full deck. He's had one representing each possible category in the Games, which is just remarkable. Uh, we chat about everything from uh, modelling and the military, which I didn't expect, um, coaching, coaching philosophies, I'm working with different athletes from different backgrounds and how his coaching style has changed over the years. Enjoy, listen, share and tag. Where uh, where did you grow up? Have you always lived there? Yeah, I've always been... Well, I start, start, I grew up in Rich Hill, just about five miles from Portadown. Um, lived there for most of my life. Um, left to join the military got injured, came out, fell into modeling, um, which kind of like took me all around the world and allowed me to travel a bit and live in various different places. Um, got fed up with that, went and did a degree, did a master's, went and got an MBA, um, worked in the corporate world for a few years, didn't like that, and then decided, you know what, my passion's in CrossFit, I've like, loved training, came home, back to Portadown after probably 10, 12 years, and then open the gym and haven't looked back. Right. I'm just going to go back to the beginning of that and ask with 45 questions. Um, <laughs> what age were you when you want, when you joined the military? <clears throat> um, 19. And what branch or what like what type of? Uh, Realm Marines. Okay. And why that? Uh, again, just how hard they push themselves. Um, you know, had your relatives like in military or anything? Uh, yeah, we have some relatives. Don't really go into much details of that because of the Northern Ireland situation, but yeah, I um, have family and stuff that have been in the military before, yeah. Okay. Um, and what injury did you get? Uh, I tore my patellar tendon. So basically take my, took my kneecap off the bone. I know a guy that did that recently. Yeah. That's the Is that the stopping injury? Um, yeah, it's like, it's whenever you're, I was basically had a, a pack on my back and I was like, moving pretty quickly and then twisted and went to stop myself and the thing just mm. snapped. That was that. Um, is that, that's, that needs surgery, doesn't it? Isn't that the one that you kind of have to quick? Okay. Um, and what age were you, what age were you when you went to join? Uh, 19. And what age were you when you got injured? 19. <laughs> okay. So how, how long were you into training? Uh, six months. So coming close towards the end of it, but. Okay. And you said like, there was no, like you couldn't go back or you just yeah i mean they gave me the option to go back in three years as long as the knee was looking good but at that stage 
the kind of modeling thing had kicked off and okay. it was like okay well, you know what to do I don't, I don't really like this modeling thing like you know it wasn't anything i wanted to do i kind of fell into it but it earned good money and it was like okay you know let's pursue this and see where this goes because the money's pretty good for all you have to do and how did that happen someone like stop you in the street or what uh, yeah I kind, of, I kind of got scouted um in a gym and then from there like i had a small agency and then they entered me into men's health like cover model competition because at that <laughs> end they were kind of like you know they were trying to find out if they could get somebody from ireland or the uk to be on the cover of men's health because you know we we're all supposed to be pasty and bad teeth and not in shape etc and um i know that's obviously changing how it is but um so i think i think it was my mum put the entry in but the agency had a little bit to do with it um and then i went through all that there and actually won the whole thing got on the cover of men's health and then when you have a, a thing like that in your book then other companies book you and all of a sudden it was like bigger companies like calvin klein and dng and umbro oh, and various different things so yeah i mean wasn't a career i really enjoyed that much but it, it was a chance to earn some money um just seeing if i can find it um and <clears throat> god that is bizarre i've never heard that i see the thing is i actually don't know a lot about you because you're like a fucking enigma i was trying to describe <laughs> someone else i was like it's like getting i was looking for a picture of you um like last week the yeah. other day and it's like looking for bigfoot it's like you're always in the background you're always blurry you're yeah. always like just slightly out of focus and it's like oh that'd be a good picture if he's in focus yeah um uh, which i feel like like you do that on purpose i assume do you yeah um i spent a fair bit of time you know on billboards and stuff you know i was in billboards in belfast and dublin london kind of all over like really it, was, it wasn't something i'm i mean you've met me i'm I'm pretty introverted like you, you know mm. it takes a lot to get make conversation out of me i don't i'm not flashy i don't like try and put myself out there so once I was done with the modeling career, it was kind of like, you know, I don't want to be in any way like known for anything or be in any sort of public eye at all. Um, but obviously with social media and stuff like that, you know, that's kind of changed for everybody nowadays. But yeah, yeah I kinda, not you like you still don't put anything up. No, um, I have I have opinions on social media that probably most people don't agree with. But um, go on. I, I think social media is a destruction of society. And I understand, I understand how ne necessary it is. Um, and I understand for businesses, and you know, if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't be doing this with you. You wouldn't have a popular podcast. But at the same time, if you look at the data on mental health problems, on you know, teenage suicide, on stuff like that, I understand that social media has a place. But I think at the minute, it's not controlled in any way enough. And I just, for me, it's hard to be a part of something that's causing so much destruction. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Um. They're talking about bringing in like laws that I don't know. It's like it. It's I, at the start when I heard about it, I was like, "Oh, that's good." And then as they kept talking, I was like, "Wow, that just sounds a bit shit, though." It was like, "Oh, you're gonna have to prove your age." But one of the ways you could prove your age is someone can vouch for you. And I was like, I'm "Sure, wow. what's the fucking point in that?" Like, it's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." That's like when you go to the nightclub, but it's like, "Yeah, he's 18." It's like that doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, like I don't have issue with it from that perspective. I think that. My main issue with is is how fake everything is on it and how young, not even young people, even older people and you know, people my age are influenced by it 
and re and think that their life is shit and you know they're not doing very well because everything on social media looks so amazing so you know i think i've heard of many scandinavian countries are putting watermarks on anything that's been filtered you know so oh, yeah. I, I i would i would agree with something like that i think that could make social media acceptable you know that that everybody that's taken in all this information is very aware of what's real and what's not yeah it is tricky like we we do it in school like we explain to the kids in school about like sure it's like they don't listen to you when you're teaching them maths what's the fucking chance of them listening to you when you're <laughs> um <clears throat> okay so you're you're uh that is fucking insane so you're on billboards like that's mad what's it like 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 how did it sit with you at the time say driving and seeing like your self like your face body and everything up on like is it are you like oh that's cool or at, at um, the start are you like oh that's cool and then it grates on you or like like a, there's a couple of different things happening over my career that were, are probably quite notable in terms of I did a second men's health cover and wasn't happy with it and went home and bought all the copies in all the local stores so no one would see it so <laughs> you know there, there's that aspect of like constantly being on view and not being happy with yourself um, and I did have some like pretty bad body image issues and stuff like that and um, when I was younger and then there's other things like I did a shoot for Dulux paint where I was basically naked and pouring paint all over myself. And I was in Dublin. I was actually going down to another job in Dublin and I hadn't seen the, the end result. And this is the only time I've ever crashed a car. I went into the back of somebody looking at myself on a billboard. <laughs> Did they get out and be like, what were you doing? Yeah, like, you just I don't explain it to you. You're just like, I was, I was just like, 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 you know, um, and he, he actually, he actually did find it quite funny. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it was cause it was a naked shoot and I was just covered in paint and I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. I just like literally was staring at it and like went in the back of somewhere. Um, so did around then you were probably what like 2021? 20, um, that kind of lasted through right through to maybe I started my education at like 27 or so. So, oh, okay, so about six, six yeah. or seven years, this was, yeah. And had you like issues with uh, how you thought you looked before doing that or because of doing that? Probably both. You know, I was the kid at 12 years old who asked for a weights bench for for Christmas from my parents because, you know, you watch all these programs or movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme and you're like, maybe that's the way a man's supposed to look. And um, I kind of got a weights bench, started working out at 12 years old and just kept going and going and going. Eventually, my parents got me like a membership in the local gym because I couldn't get any more weights to fit on my bar at home. Um and that was probably to do with the fact that I was a bit of a skinny kid. Um, wasn't very attractive, you know, had really, really bad skin, really, really bad hair. And that definitely was, you know, part of the reason why I think I got into fitness and, and pushed myself that way. But then being judged every day on how you look, you know, in some ways it was good because it pushed me to be better. But in other ways, it was really, really bad because it was never good enough. You know, so you could turn up to a shoot and be told that you had to go home for a week, eat more food because you're actually too lean, you know, so they're, they're, they have an ideal, you know, prototype essentially human of what they want to see. And if you don't fit into that mold, then you're just not good enough. And that can be hard over the years to actually deal with. And do this, like, do they, do they, like, I'm just curious how you deliver that news. I assume there's different types of people that do it, but like, is there a, like, are you an object for a lot of it? Is yeah. it like, yeah, you're you know, are you being talked you know, about like you're not there? Like, yeah. You know, you're you're there's maybe a photographer, photographer assistant, an art director, 
maybe some sort of like high up person from the company working there and you you are just told what's wrong yeah. or you're told what's right you know you go to a cast and they love your look they love you yeah. know energy etc and they think you're great and you know the book you and the fly all around the world or it's the other way and you're just not good enough and you're off to the next cast and try and get another job and is your like life outside of say like outside of those shoots is it the classic like model life where you're just like going around jet setting and like no nah i am like i'm five foot ten so you know a six foot two maybe catwalk and stuff like that could have been for me but a five foot ten like fitness model had to be the way that i could make the most money and get the most work um so you can't really be living that lifestyle when you got to stay in such good shape all the time like it's really 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 difficult to maintain you know a six pack you know 365 days a year it's it's yeah. it's, it's it's hard work um and this was all like global gym stuff was it um yeah pretty much bodybuilding stuff um did a little bit of endurance training whenever i wanted to get really lean and stuff like that but pretty much your global gym bodybuilding you know chest, um, chest were you back, just like making up to yourself as you go along like um at the start i just followed you know, like your normal fitness magazine you know you'd, you'd you'd look in the magazine and you go okay that's what you do for your chest and you do the exercises and then i suppose over the years you know i started at 12 probably 18 or 19 i had enough you know knowledge of my own body to kind of just make up my own stuff and i knew like how to do drop sets supersets triceps i knew how to like overload muscle groups to train them better so i kind of just formulated my own stuff yeah um and what did you go back to study uh marketing and business okay why business um i think part of it was so being a model looks kind of like viewed as you know not the, smartest, not the smartest person in the world um and I, I like i enjoyed the concept of the market and the business behind you know the adverts that i was doing so like i enjoyed the whole seeing mm. you know, start to finish and why they were doing the certain adverts so i guess that was part of the reason for for wanting to go down that avenue and i knew it would challenge me because i hadn't really done a huge amount intellectually um so learning about that stuff i knew it was going to be a, bit of a challenge and i've always kind of like seeked out challenges and anything i've ever done i always want to like see how far I can push something. So yeah, I just picked marketing business, jumped into it, um, did it for three years, got a first, then went and did a master's in business and then did the MBA. What do people, when you told like your, say your mom or whatever, that you're going to join the army what, or, like, or the military, what was the reaction? Um, Mum and dad probably weren't the happiest, but they've always supported all of us. I've got three brothers and you know no matter what we want to do they'll support us you know if they're not happy with it they'll still support us you know that they'll be vocal and say you know we would prefer you didn't do that but um they always support everything we've ever done like me was that friend. out of fear in case something happened you like i imagine so you know i'm not a parent i mean you're you're a parent i imagine you know you could probably put yourself in the situation easier and you know, what would be your emotion if the, if the same thing came across yeah yeah, it'd be a flat, it'd be a hard, hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you the youngest of your brothers or? Oh, I'm the eldest. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to, because I'm trying to get a hold on you, like, of, so, like, you, you kind of thought, you thought you were, like, small and unattractive and got into the gym and, like, tried to change how you looked and yeah. tried to look a certain way and then, like, 
it turned into a career as was in a roundabout way and then you thought people thought you were stupid so you went to college and got a like went to the highest rung you could I suppose on what you were doing yeah um like you obviously cared what people thought or your perception of what people thought I suppose of like in each of those stages like is that something do you still do that um I don't think I do it anymore definitely you know probably up to the age of 30 I definitely cared what people thought and you know wanted to be seen a certain way and if people saw me in a way that I didn't agree with I needed to change that but um probably CrossFit's been a great thing for me you know I've learned a lot over the years and now I just kind of there's so much crap and shit out there that like I just get on with my own thing I don't care what people say I don't care you know I know people will say oh he's a bad coach or you know he trains his athletes too hard or he does this or the other and it genuinely doesn't bother me um I have a few peers in the sport that I get on with very well and as long as you know I have their respect I don't really need the respect of anybody else yeah it's interesting because those they're like they're things I've heard. So it's interesting, like that you've heard them as well as funny. Yeah. Like where where do you think that comes from? Is that just like is that a the classic like Irishism of not wanting someone else to do well? So like that kind of like dragging down kind of thing, or do you think it's just a like a coaching philosophy like clash or what? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know what why people say the things they do. I mean, um. Pro- probably there's some of that, you know, he's getting all the success. Why is he getting all the success? Bring him down. Um, there's also part of it's probably true in terms of my first four or five years of coaching. You know, I hadn't been an elite level athlete coach. I kind of fell into it by accident. And, you know, I've learned a lot over the years. I wasn't very empathetic. You know, I used to tell athletes, you know, if you don't need surgery, then don't tell me about your injury. You know, so... And, and I pushed, I pushed everybody I trained really, really hard, and it was my way or the highway. So there's definitely elements of truth, and you know that probably still carries through to this day. But you know, I'm not that person anymore. I'm like a little bit more chilled out. I'm more empathetic to my athletes. You know, I very much ask them what they want or what way they want to train, or you know, it's down to them, and I just facilitate what they want to do and facilitate their goals. Whereas I think before I was very driven to achieve things for the gym and for me, and you know, kind of forgot maybe about the athlete, but now I'm pretty much athlete, you know, focused and centered and whatever they want to achieve, I'll try my best to, to help them get there. Yeah. Um, see, how did you, how did you find CrossFit? It was just like .com kind of story. Yeah. Um, like this must be my 14th or 15th year. Um, so it was just .com. Um, I had a pretty bad back injury. Um, I went and cycled across this and ran across the states for like a charity event and um, so like five and a half thousand miles um, and that pretty much broke my body up pretty bad and when i came home i was doing like some d training runs um, and i came off the bike and i actually managed to fracture one of the very room back wow. so, so that that was probably just like poised to happen after everything was it potentially yeah um so then I'd, I'd like attended various different physios and different back specialists and nobody was getting anywhere and i found this guy that was pretty much into like functional training and said like you need to get back to deadlift and squat and all the things that people are telling you not to do you need to get back to it so then I just did like a little bit of research and you know 15 years ago if you research you know what is fitness the the Glassman article came up just like everybody's seen Uh, so then I saw that looked really really interested and kind of looked like something I'd be I'd be interested in and then just started dot com just followed it in the global gym for a few years um then I was in London, joined into in Clapham. Um, 
just trained there for a little bit, did my level one, um, trained in another few different gyms that weren't like official CrossFit affiliates. And then that kind of led me into coming home to do my own thing. Um, who gave you your level one? Can you remember? Chris Spieler, Carl Stedman. Can't remember anybody else. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the the real OGs of CrossFit. And yeah. these were like games athletes. Like Chris Spieler is a complete legend. And yeah, he, you know, at that stage when CrossFit was in its growth spurt, you know, you had Matt Chan, Chris Spieler, you know, even Rich Froning was doing level ones at one stage, you mm. know. So yeah, you had like all the the real OGs of elite CrossFit were actually, you know, funding their lifestyle by doing level one search of the weekend. Yeah. Chris Spieler, there's a man a lot of people have opinions on. <laughs> um <laughs> when uh so was the plan at, like after you did your level one was the plan like okay like Porter down needs one of these was that like um idea? the level one was more just like i've always done education and fitness you know i've done like various different qualifications over the years i try to read like 20 25 books a year um but like the level one was more just okay i want to see what this is all about i want to see what the philosophy is it was never really a i'm definitely going to open a gym and then I suppose like when I was coming home from at a corporate job in London, when I was coming back and forth with that, I had a few close friends here who were like, CrossFit seems to be taken off. I think there was only CrossFit Northern Ireland and CrossFit Derry at that stage in Northern Ireland. I think I was the third and they were like, you know, we would definitely join your gym if you open one. So that kind of gave me the little push into to open it. And then I opened up 8020 in 2013. What was, was a corporate job in marketing or? Um, it was for a company called Racket Bankeyser, so they're like a big conglomerate that own like Neurofen and you know, okay. one of these big companies like like Unilever and stuff like that who own lots of mm. sub companies. It was it was for them, so um, lucrative. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> enough to go home and open the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Not going into details, but yes. <laughs> um, so then you open 8020 like was the, uh was the because let's say i've been to this, this is the third iteration i was at isn't it yep so the first version was it like like small like dingy was it nice like what what can you remember of it uh the first first iteration was about 1500 square foot it had one shower for everybody to share one toilet and in fact you know what didn't have toilets it had communal toilets outside and like the the business park we're in so it didn't even have its own toilet <laughs> um but we outgrew that in like six months um and then we moved into a building pretty much the same size as the one you're in and um, it just wasn't as in good good condition and it wasn't as a nice area it didn't have good parking etc and we were there for maybe six seven years and then we moved to the current the current building which i'm pretty happy with it's kind of like i've turned it into my dream across the facility if i was an athlete that's where i would want to train it's got everything i'd want mm. to train with so um I don't think we'll move. We've got a long-term lease on it, and I'm pretty happy there. Yeah, no, it is very nice. Um, it's it's very nice. Um, so when you when you opened your first one, were you did you hire someone else straight away, or did you just do it all yourself for a while? I did it all myself until I pretty much burnt out. So yeah. got to the point where I was doing every foundation, every single class. I was in the building at five o'clock in the morning. I wasn't leaving the 10. There was numerous nights I was sleeping on the couch in the gym because what was the point in going home? Because, you know, that was more time and where I could be sleeping. Um, and pretty much got very, very, very close to burnout. Started really, really disliking CrossFit, really, really disliking my own training. 
Um, and then it was one of my closest friends. He just said, listen, you know, take a week off, you know, think about what you want to do. But if you're going to come back in this, you need to get help. And so I took a weekend off. I didn't take a full week off. Um, and then realized I definitely did need help. So kind of reached out to some of the, there wasn't that many cross the coaches around that stage and there wasn't many people that were qualified. So reached out to um, a few of the guys that I was quite close to and they said they'd take a few more in classes and help me out. And then after a couple of months of that, um, got my first like full-time employee and then we've just built from there. What's it like when, so when you do everything and then you bring someone in, is it like, are you like standing in the corner, like glaring, making sure that everything's going the way you want to go or were you okay with like releasing it? Um, I definitely wasn't okay. You know, I suppose it goes back to me being a control freak when I was a coach and, you know, not letting athletes do what they wanted to do and stuff. And um, it was hard to let go, but probably over the course of maybe 18 months, I think I realized that to be a good manager, I had to set in my own head what was the minimum acceptable standards, you know, for, for my coaching or the coaching in my gym to be. And as long as my coaches could make that, then I could continuously train them and help them to become better. So it was like, you know, they don't, they don't have to do things the way that I do them. They don't have to do things the way that other coaches or, you know, the seminar staff do them. They don't have to be perfect. It's, you know, what do I see as minimum acceptable? And as long as they reached out, I was, I was happy. Yeah. There's a lot of like, cause I say you go, you go do the, like if you have 1200 quid, you can go and do the level one. If you have 1200 quid in a spare weekend. Um, and then if you have, say you had a lucrative marketing job and you like made a bit of money and you had a free weekend and 1200 quid, you could do your level one and open a gym. So like anyone theoretically could do it pending finances so like the result of that is that you end up with a lot of like you know questionable coaching or questionable affiliates yep. i suppose um and then you also then have people who are really good coaches who might hire someone to come in or might you know employ a few coaches or whatever and then there's also that thing of like well you know that guy's or that girl's a really good coach but they only take like x amount of classes a week and then you could go the other time and you could be coached by you know a cheerleader or like yeah. someone who tells you the time or how long is left or whatever um how did you make sure that the people that you were bringing in weren't just cheerleaders that they were able like that they if, even if they didn't work the way you worked that they were able to meet that minimum standard you had in your head so we have we have had from the start apart from the first couple of guys who were just like friends helped me out i've had like a six month like basically internship so they anybody that comes on daily 20 now has to do six months and um, the first couple of months they actually just have to integrate themselves into the gym they don't have to coach they don't have to do anything they just have to be part of the community and see if they fit then they start shadowing coaches then you know we'll start letting them take warm-ups then you know we'll take the warm-ups and the cool downs they'll take the main part of the class and you know we just kind of build and like layer everything on top Um, try not to overload them with everything and then just continuously give feedback in terms of you know, how to better coach a, a group because a lot of people are pretty good at PT. You know, it's easy to coach people one-on-one, -on -one, but if you want to coach a class of, you know, 12 to 20 people in an hour and you want to get two or three touch points to every single person, like that's a lot of skill. That's a lot of man management skill to really, really develop. So um, it's a six-month process for us to get them to to what I believe is the level to be good coaches. And so far it's worked. I mean, um, I do have a pretty high standard of like what I expect, but 
they all want to make that and they all want to exceed it and they all want to push themselves further and they're all always asking about more courses and asking about feedback in their classes and you know if i do one of their classes you know they'll definitely always come to me and say okay what could i have improved on and you know sometimes i'll just say listen it was a really good class i enjoyed it i wasn't even concentrating so i don't have feedback but you know mm -hmm. i enjoyed it um and then there's other times where i do sit in their class and i'll do the class you know purposely just to to take notes in my head in terms of what could be done better and what new um they need to improve on do you do all the programming yep always um i'm i'm starting at the minute so dave and emma my two full-time coaches want to get into programming a little bit more so i've been they're taking one-on-one -on -one clients you know sort of like individual programming so i've started to teach them elements of that um i've also started to like really write forward and advance our main class program so when I get back from the games, my plan is that, you know, I'll write, let's say a block of like four months. And in that block, I might leave, you know, on a given week, two days out, and they have to start filling it in, in a way that makes sense to the overall program. And then I'll give feedback on that. But ideally, you know, I've been doing this for a decade now. Ideally, at some point, I would like to have oversight on it, but not be doing all of it. Yeah. Does that go for everything? Like, would you rather not be coaching? No, I love coaching. I I love yeah. coaching. Like I've I've never ever stopped coaching main class. Um, yeah. I'm maybe one of the few coaches still about that, that likes to coach elite athletes and get them to a reasonable level. But I also love to to coach normal people, you know. And I've been pretty vocal about this over the years in terms of like where I get a kick out of, you know. Like you were you were at strength and depth, and that was a big thing for me qualifying a team because that was kind of like my last rung on the ladder to like qualify every category for the games. And it was huge for me, but it still doesn't compare to, you know, you get an email from someone who said they've cut their grass for the first time pain-free in like 20 years. Or, you know, you get, an, a, you know, somebody comes in and says, thank you so much. You know, I had the confidence to get a new job. I got my new job. I met my new partner. I'm going to marry her in a year. You can actually, you know, you can genuinely as a coach change people's lives. And, you know, getting, getting the team to the games is, you know, getting these crazy genetically gifted freaks to be 1% better, you know, every month kind of thing. But in main class, you know, I just love the thing that you can change people by like thousands of percent. You can literally completely transform their lives. Hmm. Um, fuck, I can't remember what I was going to ask. That was good. <laughs> that was good to listen to. Um, when, so like 80, 80, 20, like, so I was at regionals in like 2018 as a spectator. Yeah. <laughs> um, as if that is. Quite, I was like, uh, did I, I miss you? How did I miss your talent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I was there, I remember being like, you kind of look at the leaderboard and you're like, oh, there's a lot of 80 20 written down here. And then, like, you kind of, like, historically, it's like a common, there's like common names, like, yeah. that you see. Uh, like, where is that just like someone happened to come into your gym and it just kicked off this kind of like, I guess culture or whatever or like that you, you like because you said you fell into elite coaching or whatever but like you seem to have really made it your own and i'm curious how i suppose i'm curious how it began and how that first instance didn't just become like a fluke you know like where like oh that happened once and then that was it yeah i am it's probably a pretty simple process in my head and you know it might seem simple when i lay it out so i was very fortunate you know that i had the likes of old school crossfitters like Barry Mayers and McQuaid, you know, they kind of came to 8020 
in the very early days, they were following different online programs that, that I had a look at and wasn't very impressed with, you know, just from my own physiology background and the amount of reading and research I'd done and coaching. And that applies right back to when I was like doing bodybuilding and stuff. And I was like, this can be done way, way smarter than this. So I just started writing programs for them and they started doing quite well. And, you know, then there's a regionals, you know, regionals, individuals, regionals, teams, you know, multiple individuals at regionals, multiple teams, you know, then I managed to get tagged to the games and kind of, I suppose whenever I started seeing a little bit of success, I was like, I don't want to be a one hit wonder here. So um, at that stage, I had a reasonably good relationship with Max El Hajj at TTT. Um, like he's been my coach nearly for probably as long as I've owned DD20. Um, and I kind of reached out to him and was like, he's kind of become a mentor to me. And I've done, um, I've actually done a lot of their educational stuff. So they have a big yeah. education platform in terms of coaching. I've done it before it's been public. So like he gives it to me and I'll like proofread it. And, you know, if there's misspelling mistakes or stuff doesn't make sense or it's not, you know, it's not at a level where people understand and I'll feed back to him. And um, I've always just kind of like wanted to learn more. And like, you know, I listen to you and, you know, read a lot of stuff that Yami Tikkanen says as well. You know, there's there's some really smart coaches out there look with a huge amount. I mean, I did um, all of Joel Jamison's courses, you know, the guy that does all the MMA conditioning mm. and stuff like that. I did Andreas Spina's stuff, all the FRC and mobility stuff. So probably at that time, I realized that potentially, you know, I was going to get a reputation because we were getting success. And, you know, back in the early days when Filthy 150 wasn't as big as it is now, it was just, you know, like the weekend team competition. I think we won, we won it like four or five years in a row. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't want to be a one hit wonder. So just constantly reading, constantly doing education, constantly reaching out to other coaches, you know, I have no no fear of touching base with Max and saying, hey, I've got an athlete who's really struggling with this. I've tried this, this and this. I'm lost. And he'd be like, okay, sent me a video or sent me this. And then he'll send me back and he goes, I have no clue, but I sent it to, you know, Mia who, who works for him. She says they need to fix this. And then, you know, that's something that I've learned that I can take forward if I see it again. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I by no means think that I know everything or even close to everything. So I'll always reach out whenever I'm stuck. And what's like, so Northern Ireland seems to have uh, like, disproportionate level of elite athletes to just anywhere else really like if you look at teams and just look at regional semi-finals like all that kind of stuff yeah what because even like just proximity to your you or your gym or whatever like geographically it doesn't make sense like how is it because of like do you take any like responsibility for that or any credit for that or do you just think it's just coincidence that your gym was there and they needed somewhere to go and they went there and blossomed there I, I i don't know you know it's i've thought about this a lot over the years and you know whenever you you know everybody in every career that, that you you do everybody questions themselves you know i'm sure you ask yourself from time to time you know am i a good teacher or am i a good podcaster you know and i'm the same with being a coach and i've asked that question a lot and I don't have an answer for it because unless I was to get an alternate reality and put all those Mm. athletes in a different gym and see if they could achieve the same thing, then I can't really answer that question. You know, it's kind of like the thing, you know, Max and I always talk about this whenever, you know, you get an elite level crossfitter who finishes third or fourth at the games, you know, and then they change coach and now they've become second at the games. Everybody's like, oh, that coach must be amazing. They must have done this, that and the other. But actually that athlete 
doing anything could have potentially made it to second place or first place, you know. So yeah. it's very, very hard, I think, to quantify really, you know, is the coach the thing that's making it? I think maybe I was maybe part of creating an environment in Northern Ireland of competitive CrossFit of like driving it to a higher level. Um, because I wanted to achieve things, you know, I wanted when I first opened the gym, I said I want to send one athlete to the games, you know, that was my original thing. And so I pushed hard to do that and you know whenever i saw that the talent that tag lawless had you know that was a real opportunity here's a kid who can actually potentially go to the game so um i think i've been part of maybe of that culture of like trying to push people that far and showing people that they can do it with the right effort um but again could have been another coach could have been another gym you know could have been just luck they walked into my gym you know i could have been just lucky that i've been throwing out good programs but who knows yeah i think you're being overly humble um you mentioned there that athletes change coaches and like I suppose like one of the most uh, recent ones that everybody saw was Catherine leaving Ben and Comtrain and going to Yami um, and the training plan and then loads of people I remember people being like oh this is it now she's gonna win the games like she's gonna you know like, and then like when she went into last chance qualifiers everyone's like she never should have left Comtrain you know that's and it's like you know it's just it's not that simple i guess and it's kind of like i get the impression like yami's the type of guy who you know might in theory anyway might be saying to katrin like okay we're gonna go for it like don't be surprised if you don't make the games next year like 2023 is you know like there's there's too much stuff to fix for what yeah. you want to achieve or whatever um but when an athlete does leave a coach and i know it's something that you've experienced just even given the, the length of time you've been there but like Obviously, you worked with Emma, and now she's with Red Pill. Um, and you know, you work with Mickey, and he went to Decacomp, and now he's at Red Pill. Yeah. Um, like, wh- how do like how do you react when someone comes to you and like you've worked with them and helped them, or even like Tig is with Training Think Tank now, isn't he? Absolutely. So like, when they come to you and say like, "Hey, so I'm going to go and." join such and such are you like oh fuck off i've invested so much time in you or are you like yeah no problem like how how do you maybe i guess how do you react out loud and how do you react like internally when you're sitting on the couch at home um i don't think i've ever reacted out loud really badly um there probably is a little bit of internal you know wondering you know, what you did wrong or why they want to leave um some of those decisions have been mutual decisions, you know, Mickey and I are still, are still friendly. You know, we still have a good relationship, you know, I haven't a bad word to say about Mickey. We left on really, really good terms. You know, I felt like potentially I'd helped him as far as he could go in the sport. He felt the same. So, you know, that was very much a, okay, dude, like good luck, you know, and he has come down to D20 numerous times since we haven't been coach athlete and trained and, and worked out. And mm. so, um, tags the same as well you know uh, at, at a stage i was cutting down the amount of athletes that i had um because i think at one stage i had like 42 athletes and i was still running 80 20 so i was like yeah i was like i need to cut this down and um tag had made the games and i was like okay you know if you really want to make the games as an individual again i think maybe you need a bigger organization somewhere you can go to training camps you know maybe somebody you know who has more you know time and effort to put into what you need kind of thing and again you know i was at rob's wedding with them like we're still good buddies you know there's there's no animosity or anything there but yeah there's always an element of you know could i have done something better you know and for me as i kind of like alluded to before i think most of my issues with coaching has been empathy you know i'm quite a black and white logical data-driven person and 
you know, when athletes cry or athletes like get frustrated, like I don't massively understand it. You know, for me, it's like, okay, here's a process that you follow to get better. I understand what your weaknesses are. Do X, Y, Z, and you'll get better. And it's a whole lot more complicated than that. And I have learned that over the year. Like P PD, sister Jennifer, she's, I think she's like lead sports psych for like British athletics. So like she's right at the very like upper echelon of, of you know, sports psych. And I've learned a huge amount from her about myself because she's fed back in terms of like how I manage athletes better and how I manage myself better and also how to manage athletes, you know, so like I'll touch base with her again, you know, I'll reach out to an expert and go, Hey, I'm having this issue with an athlete, you know, they're, they're not committing to training or they've got these issues going on, you know, we've had MRIs, there's no injury, but they still say they're in pain and she'll, she'll give me, you know, various different ways and cues and tactics to like get around that. So I've, I've definitely learned over the years. And also she was the first one who pointed out that I'm, really introverted and that spent a lot of time with people actually like pulls all of my energy away so i very very often if i'm like you know at competitions like strength and depth or if i go to the games i'll take a week off after that where i literally probably don't see another human being just walk my dog and kind of reset and get myself back but she was like there's people who are extroverts you know and when they're around people they get all their energy pulled into them and then there's people who are introverts and then when they're around people they get all their energy pulled out of them and i'm one of those so again over time i've just learned how to manage that better as well yeah it's interesting that introvert expert thing is interesting i always found because like yeah. for years i thought it was like introvert meant shy and extrovert meant like boisterous or whatever yeah and then similarly i found out that like it's like no no if you're an introvert you're exhausted when you like come home from a party or whatever yeah and if you're an extrovert you're like buzzing <laughs> you're like you know like fucking um i want to go back or whatever and i was like oh so i'm an introvert <laughs> it's like i get like <laughs> i'll talk to someone for two hours or whatever and then i need to like just sit down and like yeah. just not think or talk or anything yeah um but yeah my wife is the opposite like my wife like she'd hate driving home like she'd ring me driving home just to talk like she just doesn't <laughs> like you know like it's yeah. weird yeah it's weird not, yeah, I, think, I don't mean she's yeah, weird. I mean, like, it's weird, the introvert expert thing. Yeah, like, I think a lot of people do have it misunderstood in terms of what it is. You know, I could quite happily stand in front of, like, 3,000 people and, you know, talk about CrossFit and talk about, you know, my philosophy on it. And, like, it wouldn't scare me to get questions from everybody. You know, and people go, oh, you must be so extrovert to do that. But actually, that's not even close to the truth. Yeah. It's just I'm confident in the subject matter and I don't mind talking about it. Yeah, like, I've done MCing, And if I, like, if I tell someone I'm... I'm a bit of an introvert they'd be like but sure you host a podcast how can you be it's like <laughs> yeah. it's not it isn't it's not what it means yeah yeah um i forgot what i was talking about again um oh yeah i want to say thanks uh well, i want to say thanks for a few things um but one thing that you did that stood out so i i didn't know you at all and i think i had an um and it's something it's something i've been working on is trying not to have like basis assumptions about like people or things or scenarios or whatever but like i'm still shit at it to be honest um but i had kind of an assumption of what you'd be like um and then i brought out the episode with the semi-finalists yeah and i brought out like one with the team and one with pd which would be <laughs> pertaining to you i suppose i brought another as well but yeah um and i think you sent me a message i can't remember if it was a message or an email but you sent me a message and you were like, it was a really long message. Um, I remember got, getting the message and I knew it was you straight away. I think it might have been from the 80, 20 page maybe. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I knew it was you straight away and my stomach like dropped out through my arse I was like I've done something wrong <laughs> like that was my perception of him was like he'd only yeah. contact me if he was going to call me a prick or like yeah. you're <laughs> fucking asshole why you're whatever so I saw this big message and I was like oh fuck and I like clicked into it and I was like oh when's he gonna like say the thing that I did wrong and I was like reading this and I was like oh there's actually nothing I was like okay now I just actually go back and process what's being said because I was like skim reading <laughs> being like I was looking for the word fuck or dickhead or something through it I don't know um, I don't know where to laugh about this or cry about this that's my reputation out there <laughs> but it's again it's baseless it was based on absolutely nothing I had yeah. no like I had nothing to go off you have no like online presence at all yeah. so I had no. nothing to go off so I was like I assume he like I had this assumption and I suppose a lot of it was probably based off the, the video of um, Louis with the the missed the misstep in the was a quarterfinals or the open yeah. or, or quarterfinals thing so yeah. a lot of it was probably based off that it was like fuck this guy's a psycho yeah. um, but then after remember, but it like it calms down very quickly you know but that's the it's... thing that's, that's a lot of people said so all of those athletes the four athletes and PD I talked to about that scenario and they all said the same thing of like yeah no it's like and it reminds me of my dad so my dad has like he's a fucking burka boiler when it comes to temper so he'll be totally fine he'll absolutely lose it but then like five seconds later it's like nothing happened and it's like are we okay like is, is everything all right and like the guys were saying that you're the same as that but that like those five seconds at the end of those five seconds it'll be like right here's what we're going to do and there'll be a plan and everyone else will still be reading over what happened to yeah. cause the reaction but the in the time that it takes for the reaction to happen you'll have already formulated a plan while like effing and blinded yeah. or whatever you'd be like we've got 25 minutes to do such and such thing and i've moved those classes and i've done whatever um but yeah i wanted to thank you for sending that message um because I think it's rare so i get messages from time to time but it's rare to get a message from someone like most of the time if i get a, a message it's something just like in a name chat or whatever um but sometimes i might get a message saying oh that was a good episode but like you went out of your way to i suppose praise the content and the effort of the content which meant a lot and it was nice um and then at strength and depth um I went, so I was kind of, I found myself, I was saying this to the team when I was talking to them, but I found myself just kind of drawn to them. I think a lot of it was because of Louis, because I kind of knew him a bit and I've kind of mm -hmm. chatted to him a bit. So I was kind of interested. And then because I knew him a bit, I kind of got interested in the others and then just kind of found myself drawn towards them, like a bit of a, like moth to a bulb kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I went back, I found myself back behind the ropes where I shouldn't have been. Um, yeah. And I went up and I was actually went to talk. I think it was Louis was standing at the barrier and I went to talk to him and I was like, oh, I actually don't think I was supposed to be here, but fucking nobody said anything. And you were like, oh, I'll get you a coach's badge <laughs> or like wristband or whatever. I walked off yeah. and got me one. Um, so I wanted to thank you for that as well. But also while there, um, and maybe, like, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like you maybe trusted me more maybe more than you should have but you trusted me more than you would have other people or you like you let me in a bit more i think than maybe even than you wanted to but like you kind of said things and uh reacted in certain ways to things and i was a bit like geez i really like again this could be me misreading you in the first place but i was like i really wasn't expecting 
I expected you to be more guarded, I think, whereas you were very open and very honest. And I think that's why I was so determined to talk to you in this kind of format, because yeah. I was like, geez, if he just says that stuff off the cuff randomly while sitting in the stands, what would he say if there's actually thought put into the questions rather than me just being like, so do you like CrossFit? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, you know, like I'm very much like I like to treat people how I like to be treated. And, you know, I really appreciated what you guys did for the, or you did for the guys, you know, in terms of their podcasts and, you know, helping PD with his profile and the team. And, you know, if somebody's willing to go out there and put their effort into, you know, helping drive Irish CrossFit to drive and CrossFit as a global thing, like you're doing, you and interviewing so many people, I will give them as much of my time as I possibly can. And they will have access to me whenever and whenever they need kind of thing. If people don't help me out, then I'll just like kind of stay away, stay guarded, don't don't kind of interact. But you know, for me, it's very much a give and take. You know, if some if someone is really really trying their best and and putting in an effort to to create something very cool, which you think you are, then yeah, man, I'm always gonna make myself available and and try and help you out in any way that I can. So you said you said a few things uh, at strength and depth that I want to uh, want to pull at. So okay. one of the things that you said. Uh, you said that you're not very i was like i was planning in my head i was thinking oh i got a great video yesterday of the team reacting to each other and jumping around and stuff and i was like we happened to just kind of end up sitting like just the way the things transpired we're just kind of walking together and you're like oh, i'm gonna sit over here i was like grand yeah i'll sit there as well and then i was like oh wouldn't it be cool to get a, a clip of them doing the workout and a clip of him like going fucking psycho and then i was like i like casually was like do you do you like do you get wound up or whatever and you were like no and i was like oh like again i was like <laughs> what fucking perception have i got of him in my head um and i was like no and you were like no like what's the point you were like i used to but like they can't hear me so what difference does it make and i was like yeah i mean that's a fair point is there a reason why you choose to watch or chose to watch there from the stands and not like behind because you would have actually been able to engage with them because that was, i think that was the relay once so you would have yeah. been directly behind them is there a reason why you don't is it like the haze in the barn kind of thing um for for me with my athletes i mean my, my job's over by the time we get there you know i'm really there as a a person for confidence like those guys know how to warm up they know how to activate muscle groups they know exactly you know what lifts are going to hit before they're doing you know the the snatch you know everything is like dialed in all the nutrition dialed in i'm kind of in my eyes i'm like not even really needed you know if i didn't turn up they could still execute so for me to then be back behind and starting to give them feedback and potentially potentially get emotional or you know start telling them to do a different strategy than we've already planned and we know is a good strategy is is, is i think quite risky and i think you know if you're a coach and you're really confident in in your athletes and their level of talent and the work that they've put in and the training you've put in with them and you know that they can execute i mean i just need to sit in the stands and watch them execute there's nothing there's nothing i can say or do i don't think that's going to really improve what they do on the floor yeah uh would you have been the same if say in the last workout they were like five points out and like would you have had the same attitude do you think yep yeah yeah, but like, man, we, we had, I had a spreadsheet. I think I showed you it on my phone. Yeah, no, so I'm going to pick at that in a minute. <laughs> um, but another another thing, before we get to that, another thing that you said that I was like, fuck, that is so impressive. So you said, um, you were like, oh, this this one means a lot. 
and I was like, "What?" I, in my head, I was like, "What?" Like sitting beside me, like, "What? What? What? What means a lot?" And you were like, "Oh no, this the team team qualifying means a lot." And I was like, "How come?" And you said, "It'd be the full deck. Like it'd be the full. It'd be a a, a teenager, a individual, a team, a masters, and adaptive." Yeah. And I was like, "Fuck, that is so impressive." And and then I was kind of like, "I wonder how many times that's been done. Like how many, how many individual." like singular coaches, I assume think tank, but there's like a team of coaches there. I assume like, you know, I assume it's been done. By an organization, essentially. Yeah. But I don't know if one person has done it. I'm, I'm, I don't think anybody has. I've chatted a few different coaches and I don't think that anybody said. Cause I asked, I asked Brian friend. Cause I was like, yeah. I mean, he'll know. Yeah. And he, his immediate response was he goes no and i don't think it's a good idea but he thought i meant at once like he thought yeah. i meant that one person would do all of those things in one year yeah and he's like no it's not a good idea and then i was like no like he, over and he was like oh okay he said oh yeah it's definitely been done and i said but by one person yeah and he was like oh actually i don't know yeah. um i i really don't like like it's remarkable really because I, like so i haven't speak i haven't spoken to ben and Joanne, um, and then the team, and PD. Like, they're all incredibly different from each other. As in, like, what they're doing is incredibly different. Their their stage of life is incredibly different. Their physique, their body type, their genetics, all of the stuff. They're as different as they can be from each other while doing the same thing. And then you have, like, the needs of the individual, as in, like, you know, Joanne has quite a stressful job. Kerry is quite a stressful job. Like, Emma has you know, like she's in a great environment all the time because she's yeah. there. But then you have that thing of like, it's, it, could she be there too much? Like you have to manage that side of it. And then you've got like Louis, who's like kind of cutting his teeth in this sort of thing, like quite recently. And you've got Jim who's coming from another sport and, you know, is managing other things and has a family yeah. coming and PD who's, uh, too old, too tall, too fat. And you've got, uh, you've got, um, Ben then who's like just different for like innumerable ways. Yeah, like as in like he's had you know a stressful time but he's have like a fairly recent diagnosis he has it's a new basically a new sport yeah. he's new to it as well as it being new and the the field is kind of constantly changing and developing like is training all of those people because it's interesting then when you were saying earlier on about how that you 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 kind of i suppose grew from being unempathetic into empathetic like that must be incredibly important to be like that now with this group because if it wasn't they'd be fucked and you'd be fucked yep absolutely um and each person's different and it's just getting to understand them as a person and not an athlete that that really is the thing that kind of helps out with what what they need you know you know you said about ben's a pleasure to work with you know like he's had a such a tough time but he's i mean you've chatted to him he's a really cool guy like he understands his condition inside out he knows his body you know and he is really, really driven in terms of what he wants to do with his life, you know, given his diagnosis. Um, Joanne probably, Joanne's probably one of my easiest athletes to actually coach. She is like a little robot. So whatever I tell her to do, she just does. She just executes, she gets it done. You know, if I look if I look at my coaching platform, she's always the one with 100% like of everything done. Just gets it done, goes home, comes back in, gets it done, goes home. You know, so she's relatively easy to to deal with not so easy when it comes to live competition because she gets really nervous and that's that's another level and she gets nervous when there's a fucking microphone in front of yeah. her i can <laughs> yeah. only imagine what she'd yeah. be like in madison 
Yeah, well, like, you know, you know, Madison last year, a lot of people don't know this, like, so she qualified in the COVID year, you know, so she should have been three times, but Madison last year was her first in-person individual competition, the CrossFit oh, Games. Yeah. yeah. So you can imagine the nerves that I was dealing with, and it was just her and me that went over because there was all the restrictions, her family couldn't come, so, um, but I'd, I'd said to Max um, at TTT, I was like, listen, can I get over a few weeks early? I know Joanne's not a TTT athlete, but like, you're one of my best friends, you know, any chance and he was like yeah come along so you know training with Noles and with Travis Mayer with Alessandra you know with their the TTT team I think that kind of like pulled her nerves down a little bit and you know okay these guys are superstars but they're still normal human beings um the team are the team are a fun one to work with you know it is managing each individual it's also managing them together as a team you know I can kind of from the outside see when one person's getting wound up and Sometimes I'll just call a set short or I'll say, like, let's take a break or let's chat about this. Um, but they have an amazing energy. I mean, I'm sure you, you've you've realized that, like, you know, training with them, being around at strength and depth. There's like just this kind of like aura or energy that comes off them. Um, and I think that's just been built over the year that they've all been together. I mean, they finished sixth when it was the online qualification and they missed out by one spot. And it was like, OK, do you four really want to commit to this? You know, and I sat each one of them down and probably had two or three hour conversation with each one in terms of you know, what they're willing to give, what the, what I, what I felt that I needed from them, what they need to improve. And, and they all committed to it. Um, and they're just a pleasure to work with. Um, PD, you know, strength of depth was very bittersweet for me. Um, PD is my longest serving athlete now. And he's also one of my closest friends, you know, so over the years we've just become really, really good friends. Like we hang out, we chat, we, you know, outside of the sport. And so, you know, to not see him realize his goal was very, very, very tough and quite emotional for me. Um, I'm maybe made a little bit worse by the team doing so well because it's like, you know, I have to be happy and celebrate the yeah. team, but I also have to be completely gutted for my friend who you know, hasn't achieved what he wanted to achieve. So, yeah, that was kind of, that was a tough experience, that one. But I just tend to treat each person as an individual, you know, try to work out what's going on, ask a lot of questions, you know, so if Kerry comes to me and says you know I don't want to do this session okay why do you not want to do it you know and very often we just get to the fact that she's close to burnout and she needs to not train for three or four days and you know she's been working night shifts she's been doing this that and the other um Emma sometimes struggles with confidence issues um you know and she said to me hey I'm like I'm struggling with a snatch I'm not going to even get anywhere near this ladder and I was like, okay, you know, like, do you need one-on-one? -on -one? And she was like, yeah, like, can I get, like, two or three hours, you know, the week before we went over to the semis? And I was like, yeah, sweet, come on. We'll sit in the gym on our own, and, you know, you can snatch away, and I'll help. And it seemed to work, you know, she finished the ladder. Um, Lewis and I probably clash a lot. You know, we've got very different personalities, um, but we've learned to manage it, and we actually have a lot of similar opinions, even though he doesn't like to admit it, but, yeah. And Jim's just a pleasure to work with. Jim's always just happy. Like he's literally walks into the gym happy, leaves the gym happy. He's always happy. He's just like kind of like the little rock in the team that everybody kind of knows will will always be in good form and mm. you know, never never gets down and never has a really a bad session. Um, it is remarkable though because like like they're so unassuming or they're so like um. I don't know. It's like they're not like they're more they're more maybe it's because they're more relatable. Maybe it's because they're more like just unassuming in general or they're just kind of like 
maybe it's because they kind of came together by a bit of a fluke as well. Like that it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like whatever, two years ago, it was like, right, us four is kind of like, you know, Louis kind of went in, you know, like kind of subbed in and it just kind of worked. And, but like, I don't know, like I'm kind of like, I'm reluctant to use the word special, but there is something special about them. There is something like they're incredibly likable. Um, but like, yeah, like when I look, when I look at them as a team as well, like it must be hard, it must be hard to manage them. Like as in, so you have that aspect with Kerry of like the, the potential burn. Like she has like, it's, it's a, it's a time demanding and a energy system and emotional, everything kind of, it's just a draining job. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's rewarding and everything else, but like yeah. it, it's hard. Um, and then Jim obviously has, so they have a baby on the way. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. Um, but like looking at them as a team, it's like, it's so fucking odd how well they work together as in, so looking at them, say pre-workout, you've got Jim who looks like he's like high on weed and just <laughs> happy to be like, he's just like dancing away. Just couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> yep. And he's just so relaxed. Like he was turning around talking to me. Yeah. I was like, man, like you should be ready to smash your head through the rig. Like, why do you even know that I'm here? Like you should yeah. be totally blinkered. <laughs> and you got like Lewis is like looks like he's gonna rip someone's head off and shit down their neck. Like he's yeah. like properly like I would argue overly hyped up for every workout. Like I'd be like Lewis is a what I would call like a true competitor. Like he wants to win and win well, you know, and that's yeah. in his head all the time. Yeah, he's he's intensely focused on yeah. like Jim would be just kind of like, you know, dancing around and Lewis would be like shouting stuff, yeah. but like to him. And I'm like, that is not a receptive audience. Like, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. like washing over him. Um, but yeah, it is. And the, the girls, like, it's funny, like you talk, like say watching you with them afterwards. It's so funny to me, the fact that you're saying or the fact that like other people like that you believe or that you have a perception that other people have said you're not a good coach or um you know that you train them too hard because like i guess the thing of it is that if you train them too hard they wouldn't be where they are first of all like they would like carrie would, wouldn't have got like if she was in, in danger of burnout and you were training her too hard you would have told her to fuck off and pick up the bar and we all yeah. know how that would have ended probably yeah but as well there's like like I saw so many things at strength and death where I was like, geez, he really fucking cares about them. Like you were so happy for them. And just the, the general sense of camaraderie that you'd expect to be within a team stretches beyond the team. And like watching you watch them be announced with members of the gym and friends of theirs and stuff, it's like, it is remarkable. Is that like, is that something that has been present or is it something that I know you, you know, you've been friends with PD for years, so that's probably different as well, but like, is it something that's been present or is it something that has kind of happened with this group of four specifically? Um, do you know what? I think it actually comes from our gym community and ethos. Um, like no, no one's ever had an ego at 8020 because and a lot of people don't know this and I'm sure there's coaches out there who are going to disagree with what I say, but like, this is my philosophy on it. My athletes who have all you know qualified to the games or qualified to semifinals, every single one of them in probably 80% of the season had to do five of my main classes. They had to work out with my community, in my gym, with the normal members. 
because I truly believe that that program is really good. And also that you just need good, hardcore CrossFit to be an elite level competitor as well. Now, obviously they do a ton of work on the side and, you know, they need to really focus on themselves individually and all their weaknesses and stuff. But I think, I think that ethos and that, you know, that community aspect to it and having such support in the gym and having their family and their friends and everybody really rooting for them and the amount of messages that came through when they did well. And you know, we had pictures come with everybody in the gym watching it on the big screen, you know, in the middle of the gym floor. And, you know, I think that just builds a really good team ethos. And the other thing with me is, you know, kind of what I said to you, you know, why I, sent, I reached out to you and sent that message, you know, if anybody gains my respect, you know, I'll give you know, I'll give it back a hundredfold, you know, and it's hard not to to watch those guys put the graft in, you know, there has been blood, there has been tears, there's been tantrums, there's been tantrums from me, there's been times where I've said, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not doing it anymore. But, you know, you come out the other side and I suppose adversity builds like strong friendships. What, what would make you say that you're out? Um, Just getting frustrated with like levels of effort or, you know, as I is said, that, like, is that is that actual levels of effort or your perceived levels of effort? Do you think? Probably, probably a little bit of both in different times. You know, yeah. I I've been around the sport long enough now. You know, and I've worked you know closely with Max and all the TTT guys enough to know to know what's required in the sport to be at the elite level to make it to the games. And when people start to fall short of that, and you know, and I've told them three or four times they're falling short of it, then I start to get very frustrated because I'm like. You know, you told me at the start of the season, this is what you wanted to achieve. I'm telling you, this is what you need to do to achieve and you're not doing it, you know, and that, that can be kind of, kind of frustrating and, you know, say like, I can throw the head up from time to time, go, I'm out. But then 10 minutes later, I'm like, right, sorry. You know, I apologize for that. Like I shouldn't be saying things like that, but it can't, you know, the training environment, especially the closer you get to competition can become quite heated and quite stressful. And especially, you know, when you're working with things like the worm and everybody's under fatigue and everybody's knackered and nobody wants to do another set, but the set before wasn't good enough. You know, that, that, that can be tough to deal with. And, you know, everybody gets emotional and everybody like lose their temper at various points. Mm. You know, I wouldn't say, in fact, I think the team would all agree with me that, you know, every single one of them at one point lost their temper with me or another team member, you know, quite a few times. Mm um so the spreadsheet uh so yeah you showed me you mentioned it and i was like all right that's a hyperbole like he's exaggerating and then you were like i actually have it here and it was like <laughs> it was on your phone and so it's basically you've done a you've did a spreadsheet um i'm sure you've done it other times but this time specifically you did a spreadsheet of all the workouts that the team were doing yep. and their projected finishes Yep. and the projected finishes of other teams in the competition to work out like their, I guess, like minimum requirement on shit ones and their maximum potential on strong ones and where they could push and where whatever else. Um, and that's something else that I talked to Brian Friend about because <laughs> I was like, when explaining who you were to him in order to give context to what I was saying, I said this guy's gonna fucking love this so i was like do you know actually what he did i was like he had a spreadsheet on his phone of all the workouts and where the team would finish and where the other teams would finish and he was like fuck like so he was like i mean his understanding of it and mine is that not only does that show like a remarkable level of insight into your team and how they're going to perform but also all of the other teams with 
a lot of which have like a who's who of who's who on their team. Like you, you've no way of really knowing who they are apart from the data that's available. But you obviously like have an incredible insight into those teams, how they're going to do. And like with remarkable accuracy, it's not like you're like, oh, I've got, you know, it's not like the gambler who only tells you about the big win. Like, yeah, it's a remarkable level of consistency in yeah. correct predictions. It like, do you just, so is that like you go through, okay, Nordic and you look at the team members and you look at their open performances and you look at their yeah. Instagram and you look at that. Is that how you do it? Don't really use social media. I mean, because everything, you know, said before, everything's fake on yeah. it. You know? So basically I, I got every single team that was in, strength and depth um rank them out on their quarterfinal performances then re-rank them out on their open performances and combine the results then looked at the average score of each team in terms of like you know where they ranked on each workout that i felt was a very similar test from the open or from the quarterfinals to the semis and then from there just kind of said okay here's where i think you know three or four teams are going to beat you on because of their scores in this Here's where, you know, potentially you know, you're going to do very well. You know, you, you're backstage. You heard it. You know, like I said on the road climb workout, guys, 95 points. You're going to win this one. Or you're going to come second. You know, you, you can't beat Navy Blue, but you will come second in this workout. And, you know, they came in in second place, you know. And um, over the weekend, you know, I think I only ever had them seven points out of where, you know, of the total score in terms of, of where, the, where they should have been. Um, but that's just me. Like, I don't sleep, man. I... I sleep maybe three or four hours a night. I'm, you know, I'll get up at three o'clock in the morning, sit in the spreadsheet, work all that out. And uh, some of it's for me because I, I just like to understand the data and the numbers. And, you know, I'd never want to say to an athlete or a team, yeah, you can definitely make it. And then the finish, you know, like 30th, you know, that's just not something I would ever want to be a part of. So when I'm crunching numbers and the team know how logic based I am and how data driven I am, especially because I'll break down, like I'll sit with open performances or quarterfinal performances for repeats and I'll like time out every single thing, like every transition, every break, every chalk break, and then formulate a plan to make them do the workout, you know, two or three minutes faster, just, just by being better at doing the workout, not by being fitter. Um, and so I just kind of applied that. And then like the team all said, you know, that, that confidence like leaks into them because they fully believe, because I fully believe that my data says that you will qualify for the games. And, you know, if you're a team who, you know, they did fly under the radar. Nobody expected them. You know, you had all the pre, you know, semi-final talks and shows on strength and depth and who was going to qualify. And like our name was never mentioned once. And I, I had us, I didn't have us sitting in third. I had us sitting in fourth, but fourth by a comfortable margin. Um, and actually we were third by a comfortable margin. But to me, that confidence, I think like that pushes into the athletes. And when they go out on the floor, having that confidence allows you to execute better because you're like, I can do this. You know, I will do this. You know, I will finish in this position. And um, I I believe that having that kind of like certainty from my, from my side does help them a little bit. And say if you have, so say you have that certainty of the rope climb workout where you're like, you're going to finish second and then they buy into it and they believe and they say, we can like let the shackles off and go for it and commit knowing that we have the haze in the barn that we're fine. Yeah. Um, and they've said themselves that that's, that it gives them that confidence and that they, they they have so much trust in what you say because you don't mince words and you don't say things unnecessarily. And, you know, you won't say like Jim told me a story of he, you rang him one day and said, why the fuck are you putting in these shit scores on such and such a workout? And he was like, what? <laughs> and you were like, you can lift that. So start lifting it. And he was just like, 
uh, okay, Neil, no problem. <laughs> like he was like, he just started doing it because he was like, you wouldn't have said it if it, like it's not. You're not like you know, go get him, champ. Like there's no. mean. You don't say things for not just for the just. No, for I'm definitely like, I'm the the anti cheerleader type coach. You know, <laughs> I I keep my words to a minimum. I tell them what they need to do, and I think that works. It works for them. It might not work for other athletes. I mean, I'm sure it definitely doesn't, but it, it definitely works for those guys. But what about the flip side then, where like just say at the games hypothetically there's a workout and you're like oh fuck when you see it on paper do you say to them like okay hopefully like 35th like how like how or do you just say nothing or do they know then if you don't say something that you are saying something like how do you approach the ones that won't be confident um i always have stuff to say but like you know i'll i'll literally tell them you know you know if it's a 35th position that i want i'll say listen there are five other teams who want that 35th spot you know that are you know 36 37 to 40 you need to get it you know so for me every every point or every execution is like separate to the one before or the one that's mm. coming next and you know i will try and be as upfront with them as i can now i was a little bit and i think i think maybe only carrie realized i was a little bit like i told them that they could do really well in the endurance event the first event at strength and depth that was like me kind of like saying something untrue to start with more because i want them to go in with confidence and like get a reasonably good score and, the, and they, they came eighth from that so i was like quite chuffed for that i had them down i think as ninth um but they but they came eighth but i was telling them you know you can you guys can come top three in this definitely you just go out there and crush it and um so there is the odd time where i'll like you know say stuff that maybe isn't completely true if that's where the confidence is needed but i would say 95 percent of the time they're getting the truth of what i expect them to do and i think that also is a good thing because you know if their coach, you know, was telling them, listen, 35th is a good finish for you in this workout and they come in in 33rd or 34th, you know, they're probably happy, you know, and they're probably ready to go on to the next workout where I've told them they can finish 12th or whatever. And, you know, we're under no illusions that we're not going to win the games. We're not going to podium. We're not going to do anything like that. But you know, I have set them a target of, you know, getting into the top 20, you know, and staying there. And the dream result would be if they scraped into the top 10. And you just, you know, you never know what can happen, but that's where i'm at with it and i've told them that and i've you know vocally told them that you know top 20 is what i expect and what i think they are capable of and, and i do believe that so hopefully they can do it and when you're when you're setting those expectations so i spoke to um andrew hiller recently and we and the subject of like fame and popularity came up around athletes and i was kind of saying how you know like someone like Chandler Smith I was like he's someone that I really like and I really want to do well because he's like he just seems kind of cool and he's funny and he just seems like likable and I think because he's like ripped as fuck you expect him to be incredible yeah. um and I was like he often kind of flatters to deceive like he did really well at that mayhem uh when it was a sanctional or whatever and you know but he's never really matched his or his expectation with performance or with execution or whatever, whether he was with Max or whether he's with uh, Ben or whatever. Um, and his response came back of like, well, it's the coach's job to set realistic expectations. So it's the coach's job to say, I guess what you're saying of like, there's no point saying like podium or bust. If you know that they're maybe going to finish inside the top 25, like there's no point in saying that. Yeah. Um, but then you also, I suppose, don't want to just be like well sure we'll go and <laughs> have a bit of fun with it like you do want to have some kind of impetus because otherwise i suppose if you come back from strength and depth and you say 
yeah, like we've made the games now. That's great. Sure, sure, we'll just see what happens. Like you're 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 setting yourself up for whatever six seven weeks of like going through the motions and not wanting to be there because you know in comparison to what could happen, is yeah. it hard when you're setting those expectations? Is it hard to be honest with yourself and to be honest with them and to be honest with whoever it is about like setting an expectation that can be met or can be surpassed and not let it not setting yourself or them up for failure uh, while also not setting yourself and them up for a slog of a pre-games training schedule um for me no like i i'm just very very honest all the time in terms of what i believe you know and i've crunched the numbers on the teams in different various semi-finals and i genuinely do believe there can be you know in the top 20 um so for like for me it's it's not tough, but like I can definitely see how coaches do sometimes I don't know, like you know, give people more confidence or you know I have this thing where like I, I've had numerous athletes over the years reach out to me and say, Oh, I want to go to the CrossFit games and I'll send them some tests and the tests will come back and I'm like, dude, you're fucking not making the national fucking, you know, baby CrossFit league. You're never going to the game, you know. You know, like you know, pe- pe- guys that have reached out to me, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, what are your numbers? And they're telling me that their max snatch is like 68 kilos, and I'm like, you know, these these guys are snatching up unbroken like 30 times. You know, you, you someone needs to tell these people that you know that their expectations are way beyond. And again, you know, we've we've probably got into a society, and this is probably a bit of way off CrossFit, but where people are just offended by someone telling you the truth, you know. But yet, you know, if a if a twelve year old kid goes to his parents and says, you know, oh, I really want to play for Man United, you know, and he can't kick a ball with two feet, the parents will go, listen, son, you know, you're not playing for Man United ever. It's not going to happen. You know, stay away from it. You know, if you want to go and play in a Sunday league somewhere, you want to shoot for this, definitely go and you know get on your local Boy Scouts football team. But they will definitely say you're not playing for Man United. But yet. Coaches nowadays in CrossFit or in other sports, if they say that, you know, uh, an adult athlete, hey, you can't make the games, you're being a complete dickhead, apparently, because you've just told them the truth, you know. And to me, I'm like, I'm actually, if if, if, if that's what perceives me as a dickhead, then fair enough. But I think I'm doing justice to the person and their future and, you know, their mental health and everything that goes beyond that in terms of, like, trying to achieve goals. I think that's a better way to be than to to give somebody, you know, false hope and let them shoot for this goal and then fall so far short that, you know, they don't even know what their next goal is going to be. But do you think that if you had, um, say, someone just with no, like, specific sporting back, just, like, active, but no specific sporting background, no weird injuries, no weird, just, like, normal, but not a genetic freak, like, just a normal person came to you at, like, 20 and was like, I'll do whatever you say and I want to go to the games. And like they had none of these tests that you're looking for. Yeah. Do you think if they just did everything that you told them to do, that they'd be able to do it? Like say even go to semifinals. Or do you think that it's like that there is that maybe the extra 1% that a lot of these athletes have is internal. Like it's a, it's a genetic thing. Six, 68 years ago, I would have said, yeah, you know, a lot of hard graft and someone could probably, you know, get the semis regionals, potentially the games, I think what this season has shown, and you have chatted to quite a few other coaches about it as well, you know, this is the new iteration of CrossFit. This is the the CrossFit athlete that started it whenever they were eight or nine and can walk on their hands for fun. You know, they can snatch, you know, without even thought. It's now a subconscious process. 
And I think that's why you've seen so many of the big names, you know, like David Sauter and Koski. And, you know, even from my perspective, you know, you know, PD struggled quite a lot, you know, and didn't finish as high as we wanted them to. But you're seeing this new iteration of Crossler coming in who this is their sole sport. They have been doing it for a decade. Their skills are dialed in. Their fitness is insane. You know, because of what they've been doing from a very, very young age, they've actually developed the capacity in all the areas that they need before they're even competitive. And then when they become competitive, it's just a case of layering on strength and fitness, strength and fitness, strength and fitness. You know, so maybe like five or six years ago, as I said, would have said, yeah, nowadays, unless you've been doing, I don't think unless you've been doing CrossFit from a young age and you're very genetically gifted, you're not going to make the games. And I think that's going to get even further and further out as we get on in the sport where you're going to have you know how many how many people make the games that are like you know over six foot one six foot two you mm-hmm. know how many people make the games that are over 100 kilos eventually you're going to see the crossfit athlete is going to be you know on the male side five foot eight five foot ten 85 to 95 kilos you know same limb lengths same torso lengths you know all just looking pretty similar but again, if you look at most professional sports, that's what happens. You know, cyclists look the same, professional soccer players look the same, guys who play the same position in the NFL all look the same. And, you know, as the sport develops, I think unless you're genetically gifted and you've been doing it from your kid, I don't think you'll make the games. Do you think that the age profile will get younger then as well? Do you think, like, say, if you have someone like Mal who comes up who's done it, or Justin who's done it from a young age and then gets to, say, like, 27, 28, and is burnt out or ground down or do you think that the that the co- it, the coaches are good enough to keep the longevity there to go with the success um i don't think it's to do with the coaches not being good enough i think it's just a very attritional sport you know when you're backstage at the games you know or regionals i've been there like you know most athletes are walking around with numerous scars on shoulders elbows knees you know it's a very very attritional sport and the further you go to the top level, the more volume you have to put in because, you know, semi-finals is tough, but the games becomes, you know, a test of survival and a test of recovery, not so much a test of fitness, I think. And, you know, if you're going to do that for five, six, seven years, very competitively, but you've been doing it for like 10 years prior to that as a kid, there's only so much wear and tear your joints can take and your ligaments and tendons can take and, you know, even mentally the grind can take. But again, I don't think it differs much from, from most other sports, you know, well, I think the average retirement age in the NFL is like 25 or 26. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so I don't think it'll be any different from that. I think it's just going to be, this is a very attritional sport, but as it grows, you can make a lot of money very fast as a young person and then get out. Yeah. Um, so the sport is obviously changing as well. So if, if you have, obviously if you have a different type of athlete coming up, you're going to presumably see the programming reflected and the competitions reflected and you know there'll be changes like you know we've already seen it where if you look back at the 2012 games you can kind of look at think like god i'd be able to do that yeah (laughs) like it was just very different i suppose or you had you know um was it darren ellis was on and he did the the sectional or whatever in australia with like a fireman's mask on that was one of the workouts you know it's just like different yeah um do you think that while the sport changes like are you ever concerned with the professionalization of the sport like are you ever concerned with is the judging good enough should the judges be paid are the events good enough should they be different should all the workouts be standardized should like or is that the kind of stuff where it's like fuck it like it, it whatever that is i just have to do what i'm doing anyway um i do think about stuff like that but it doesn't really like 
set of prime importance to me. I mean, I definitely have a thing with the judge, and I think the judging needs to be professionalized more. You know, you, you can't have like we we had an appeal, you know, for our team that put it in and actually got like accepted as you know, yeah, that judge shouldn't have done that. Um, so I think one of the problems is you're asking volunteers, and you know, not to put judges down, but a lot of them are like you know big fans of big names in the sports and you put them on a the floor and ask them to judge somebody who they've looked up to for five or six years you know the likelihood of them calling no rep on something that's 50 50 you know is very very small but everybody should be you know, in a position potentially where they're being judged very fairly by people who understand the movements and what's required of each athlete so i think judging definitely is going to have to be especially as more money comes into the sport you know because this is people's livelihoods you know the difference between in making the games and not making the games probably in 10 years could be hundreds of thousands of pounds of sponsorship, you know, so it's they're definitely going to have to do something to address that. How? I don't know, because I imagine it's hard for these events to make money, you know, and if you're going to start saying, oh, we have to pay judges or we have to do this, then, yeah, it's a, that, that's a hard one. I don't know where technology will come into it or, or maybe just the programming gets like a little bit, you know, smarter in terms of like, you know, I like, area, I, I like the fact that strength and depth you know that they, they took away you know jumping over the bar for the the, the burpees yeah you, know, you know that kind of removes pressure from a judge because you're not trying to see did they take off on two feet and land on two feet or what you know you could step over if you wanted and you know first and second place did very different strategies you know on that workout pd came first and stepped over the bar i think reggie fasa came second but jumped over the bar you know so did it really make a huge difference to performance probably not did it make judging a whole lot easier absolutely so I think there's things they can do like that, but the sport's definitely in an evolution and a change phase at the minute. And I'm kind of just excited to see where it goes. You know, like you mentioned, you know, 2012, I remember watching 2010 games with, you know, Jason Cleep and Rich Froning, you know, where they were doing Amanda and they're all missing 60 kilo snatches and like nearly throwing them into the crowd. And I'm like, you know, a semi-finals athlete nowadays wouldn't miss a 60 kilo snatch, you know, ever, you know, they probably muscle snatch for fun. Um, so I can only imagine what the sport's going to be like in 10, 15 years. Do you think you'll be around? I think I'll still own 80-20. I'm not too sure where I'll be in competitive coaching at that stage. I don't, I don't Do know. If, so if, if this year goes to plan, like if everything happens the way that you think it will, yeah. with, say, Joanne, Ben, the team, are, is that like, I have the full deck now, I'm definitely not a one-hit wonder, or... Is it still like no, like I can get the full deck again, or I can do something different? Like, is the hunger still there? Do you think to go next year? There's, a, I'm talking to a few different people about potential opportunities of me working for their organizations. I don't, I don't know yet. I'm not gonna like put any details out there. Um, but yeah, I think maybe this might be my last year as me coaching under my kind of own brand of whatever I do and and coach athletes. Um. I'll still keep my current athletes. I would never let them down or like, you know, ditch them. So I'll, I'll keep coaching my individual athletes and team athletes until they want to stop. But I, I made a call that once I got the full deck that I wouldn't be taking on any more new clients. And probably in the last like few weeks, I've probably turned down about 50 different requests. Um, obviously because of the semifinals, but I made that commitment myself. You know, I've let my own fitness and health probably like diminish a huge amount, you know, to prioritize coaching and the athletes and, you know, I would like to get back to to really enjoy my fitness and training and CrossFit and you know, potentially maybe competing at a master's level. Who knows? But um, 
I did make a commitment to myself that if I got the full deck this year, I would take a small step back and, and reduce the level of input into competitive coaching. So I intend to follow up on that for at least a season anyway, but then who knows after that? Yeah, so yes, it's itchy fingers, itchy, itchy coaching fingers. Yeah, like, I mean, but I, I do enjoy coaching main class, you know, I enjoy the mm. community we have at 8020. I put as much, probably more effort into my main class program as I do to any individual program that I write for you know, elite level athlete, because to me, that's where the real bread and butter of like programming comes because you're programming for, you know, somebody who has just finished their foundation course, who has no exercise history. And I'm also programming for PD Savage and my team and Ben and Joanne, who are games athletes, you know, and I'm trying to get a response out of everybody that suits everybody and gets everybody the results that they require. So it's, it's a hard thing to do main class program. And I, I think anyway, a lot of people don't put, you know, maybe as much of a, emphasis on how on how hard it is and you know the graph that goes into it but i definitely spend three or four hours a week on on each week of programming for me in class to make sure it's where i want it to be and i love that part of the process and love coaching the members and hanging around the gym so you know it might be enough for me you know i definitely i've been asked this question a few times you know on a couple of different podcasts and my original goal remember i think i said earlier was to send one athlete to the games and i struggled a little bit whenever tag made the games um had a little bit of depression because it was like okay where do i go now you know I've, I've just achieved what i wanted to achieve and then you know other people started mentioning stuff like you know could you get a team could you get an individual about masters and then the adaptive calorie came up and then you wanted to go for it and that became the next goal and at the minute you know i've achieved it all and there's no depression there's no sadness there's no there's nothing there that makes me feel like I need to go and find a new goal at the minute. So I think I'm actually pretty satisfied. I don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. I don't feel like, you know, whether people like me or they don't like me as a coach or they agree with my methods or they don't agree with my methods. I feel like at the minute, you know, you know, in the UK and Ireland, I've kind of put myself out there as one of the guys that, you know, was more successful than a lot of other coaches. So, you know, if people agree with that or don't agree with that, I don't really mind. But in my mind, I was okay at what I did okay okay <laughs> yeah um yeah look we'll finish with a quick fire okay um so strength or cardio strength um barbell or dumbbell barbell uh thrusters or burpees thrusters um coach or compete coach um team or individual team uh proudest moment as a coach oh that's a quick fire one that's hard um there's two that's the last one so you can take there's there's two the year pd qualified as individual the COVID year was amazing for me it was like such a good thing to have a friend do that and then obviously the strength and depth moment that you saw, like I can't hide how proud I was there. So definitely those two like set up at the top, like beyond anything else. Yeah. Um, well, look, it's been great getting to chat to you. Um, I think, you know, you might say you're okay at what you do. I think you're phenomenal at what you do. And I think I was struck by your, um, your relationship with your athletes uh, from watching it, I suppose, at strength and depth, but then, going to 80 20 and seeing the community that's there and seeing how everybody wanted to hang around before and after and everybody felt 
like comfortable and everybody enjoyed it even though it was absolutely fucking horrible workout everybody enjoyed it and i think i said it to you at the time but like like it it really was cool doing a workout with i say doing a workout with you doing a workout with the team doing it like joanne was there ben was there everyone was doing the same warm-up everyone was doing the same workout like slightly altered or whatever but everyone yeah. there is that sense of like you know I guess you can watch the team doing it and you can be like, oh, I'm going faster than them. And then be like, and they have an extra 40 kilos or whatever on the bar. Or, you know, like we talked about at the time how you can see them at strength and death and be like, oh yeah, they're they're pretty quick. Like, oh, that other team is quicker or whatever. Like, geez, maybe they need to speed up a bit. And then you see them in like in person, you're like, fuck, they're really fast. Like, it's like, I can't even hold a candle to them. Um, But yeah, I think you've, you've, you've just built so many special things as in like the relationship that you have a PD and the team and like all your athletes and then the community that you have and the reputation that you have. And, um, I think I, I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to, to get to know you a bit because I just think you're fantastic, uh, in a lot of ways, but, um, yeah, I'm excited now. I'm excited to see what your, your group of six can do in Madison. I think it's going to be exciting. And, um, yeah. just yeah, a reminder as well, if people want to go, you can go to just giving and you can search 80, 20 and donate. And if you donate anything over a fiver, you're entered into a draw to win one of two pairs of rad shoes, a six months whoop membership and a free 4.0 six months of rain and a 50 pounds hybrid Academy voucher as well. And every donation counts. So like yeah. you can donate 10 pounds twice. That's two entries or you yeah. can donate 200 pounds twice. That's two <laughs> entries and um, whatever you want. People have been really generous though, so far. Yeah, we, so, and that's, we appreciate that's going to run all the way up. We well appreciate the help that everybody's been given, the support we've been given. I appreciate you putting that together. Like it means so much because, you know, all anybody has to do is like go on to booking.com and look at hotel prices and accommodation prices in Madison. And it is completely off the chart crazy, you know, so we appreciate all the help that everybody's been given. Um, the only thing I probably have to finish on and you're maybe not going to love me for saying this is, is that, um, you and I did the workout on Saturday and we had to sit out around. <laughs> yeah, Cause I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most unfit CrossFit coach and maybe you have a little bit of work to do as well. Don't yeah. You? I think it's the most unfit <laughs> CrossFit coach and, crossfit podcast host yeah met yeah. and did a workout and had um, to sit it around <laughs> i was so fucking relieved when you said yeah. that like i like okay so just for because i told i told this to jim and he got a good laugh out of it where we were setting up and it was like 20 it was like a partner workout 20 uh hang cleans i go you go but yeah. you share it so 20 hang cleans uh 100 meter run each 20 burpees shared 100 meter run each 20 shoulder overhead 100 yeah. meter run each and then you rest it and yeah. i thought it was five rounds every six minutes but it was every yeah. five minutes six yeah. rounds yeah um so we we were warming up and i did like a few i was like i'll probably go 60 um kind of i was half i suppose like ego being like i better go 60 i haven't cleaned 60 in fucking two years and i was like oh i'll, I'll probably do like 60 you pretty, was, you pretty well i was like okay i'm gonna have to go 62 i was hoping it'd go a little bit lighter <laughs> and that's the thing that you were like you set up for like i i was like he's heading for 50 i think with the warm-up weights like, he's probably yeah. heading for 50 and i was like that's yeah i can bail like and go to 50 yeah. and i did like three just before we started the workout and i was like oh they actually felt pretty good i think i'll stick with that and i was like wait a minute this is a trap there's a lot of like rounds of this 
And then I said to you, oh, I actually might use your weight. I might just do 50. And then you were like, no, I've changed. I'm doing 60 as well. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, me too. I'm happy to do 60. And I was fucking <laughs> dying inside. Um, but yeah, you were like, uh, we did like rounds one, two, three. Yeah. Skipped four and did five and six. Yeah. And you were like, oh, it, it was you, like we were still, I was still doing my shoulder overhead. In my head, every one of those last five reps i was like split jerk it but my body just didn't cooperate and i just kept doing like push jerk because and i was like okay the next one i need to split jerk the next one i'm not going to do it and i'd yeah. still push jerk it and then i heard the coach go like uh 10 and i was like what the fuck is he counting down i have another five reps to go like how is he and then i put the bar down you're like we might just sit out this one i was like oh thank fuck. yeah because you went to take the weight down you were like let's just take the weight down i'm like Fuck that. Let's just not do the next <laughs> round. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a, there was a big relief there. That was a big relief.